There's a line in every city that separates the rich from the poor, the strong from the weak, the haves from the have-nots. It's a street, the train tracks, a river, a sidewalk. It's time to cross the line. Serve the City is a global movement of volunteers showing kindness in personal ways to people in need. We are the connection between the good intentions and talents of people who could volunteer and a meaningful opportunity to get involved. Serve the City is for everyone. It's a revolution, a serving revolution. And it's going to change the world. Cross the line, serve the city. This is Serving Stories, a podcast by Serve the City. Hi, I'm your host, Ani Deal. Welcome to today's episode, part two of two, where we cross the line in Brussels, Belgium. In Brussels, outside the European Parliament, fly 27 flags representing the member states of the EU. On the edge of the city, you can find more flags flying at the headquarters of NATO. People from all the nations represented by these flags have gathered in Brussels to work together on their common interests in an urban center that has become the second most multicultural city in the world. And in a windy park near Brussels' North train station, you can find another multicultural gathering of people from a much different set of nations than that represented by the EU government officials. I am Tunisian. He is Algerian. He's from Sudan. Ethiopia. Eritrea. Senegal. Senegal. Yemen. Asia. Yemen. Iraq. Iraq. Syria. Syria. Kuwait. Palestine. This is a group of people we profiled in our last episode of Serving Stories. An ever-changing group of irregular migrants who have lived in Park Maximilian since the refugee crisis of 2015. And we also met a group of volunteers who come out early in the morning to offer these migrants a sandwich and a hot cup of coffee for breakfast after a cold night in the park. I think the hardest thing for me about Breakfast for Refugees was not uh, getting up early in the morning, not figuring out where bread or coffee would come from, uh, not, not being cold, but just that that's all we were doing. All we were doing was serving breakfast to refugees. Like, what difference does that make? Does that make? Does that Today on Serving Stories, we will see how a simple breakfast in the park led to Serve the City cooperating with other Brussels NGOs to try to address the humanitarian issues raised by these irregular migrants. And we will also see how this effort is changing the lives not only of the migrants, but also of the volunteers. My name is Nathan. I'm from Brussels and I work for Serve the City since 2015. And uh, now, since September 2019, I'm the director of Service City Brussels. Nathan Torini described to us how the idea for a new initiative to care for migrants arose out of a very difficult event. In September 2017, the police in Belgium started to be more aggressive with the migrants' population. Most of them are staying in a park, we call it Park Max Maximilien. So in mid-September, we were serving breakfast in uh, this park early morning to migrants. I use the word migrants on purpose because the people didn't apply for asylum yet. They're still in a migration situation. And the police used our projects where we were distributing food to trap the people we were serving. And some people from this citizens platform were there uh, also and saw that uh, the police used a humanitarian project to trap and arrest people. You may remember some of the Breakfast for Refugees leaders who were there describing this event in our last episode. Maybe the most challenging morning at Breakfast for Refugees was uh, a morning when the police had planned an arrest for irregular migrants. All the police officers jumped out. 
and they just like ran towards the breakfast and they like grabbed people that were serving. And there must have been 50 policemen that arrived and they brought in their their buses and they started arresting these guys. And then the kind of horrific realization sunk in. They were waiting for us to set the breakfast up because they knew that people would come to our table. To our table. To our table. To our table. During the refugee crisis of 2015, a popular movement called the Plateforme Citoyen de Soutien Réfugié, the Citizens Platform for Refugee Support, had spontaneously formed around caring for asylum seekers arriving in Brussels. Now, in response to these arrests, they instigated a new plan. During this month of September, since the police was being more aggressive, uh, some citizens started to try to find a plan to host migrants in uh, Belgian families. They managed to host between 200 and 300 people every evening in Belgium's family, which is amazing. And uh, it lasted for two months. So Platform Citoyen had a great system where they had host family and also people to drive refugees around and get them to the host family. Doreen Stroba, the Citizens Platform volunteer that we talked to in part one, described this hosting program to us as well. People are hosting people like for only in the weekend, sometimes it's an evening in the week, but there's also people who've been hosting almost every night. In spite of the positive response from Brussels residents, the citizens' platform felt like they needed to find a more comprehensive and sustainable solution to getting migrants off the street, especially as winter was coming. And someone from Platform Citoyen came to me and said, is Serve the City okay to help us start a refugee center in Brussels, only managed by volunteers? Nathan, who was the projects manager for Serve the City at that time, thought this was a great idea. In Serve the City Brussels, we said that it could be a good thing to do, to be part of this great project. And we were asked to manage the kitchen to distribute breakfast because I guess we are well known for our breakfast in Brussels. And so it happened that in December 2017, the Citizens Platform opened a shelter for migrants that would be completely run by volunteers. No paid staff at all. It would also be a kind of sanctuary. And I know that Platform Citoyen made a deal with the city of Brussels and the police so that the police cannot come in to arrest people, which I think was a good thing to, to deal because the people were actually safe when they entered the building. Serve the City Brussels took responsibility for coordinating the kitchen and providing a breakfast every morning, as well as all the volunteers needed to run the breakfast. But as Nathan told us, it was a bit of a makeshift operation. So what the Platform Citoyen managed to have from the city is an old office building that uh, we could use. So with the help of Médecins Sans Frontières. That's Doctors Without Borders. We put some bed into this building, try to invent a kitchen, put some tables, some chairs. The kitchen wasn't professional at all. I remember Dave came up with a sink to put against a wall and uh, we asked the city of Brussels to drill a hole in the wall to get to the other room to get some water. Also, I remember we cooked on my grandma's cooker for I think two or three months with barely some knives. It was, it was like a camp. It was a camp inside a big building. A sink, a hole in the wall for pipes, grandma's stove and voila! The new centre, called the Porte du Lys, was open for business. Serve the City volunteers could now serve breakfast to refugees indoors, in a shelter. And that shelter, and that breakfast, continues today. So, hi, I'm Annalise. Uh, I'm working at Porte du Lys for the moment, and we're helping prepare the breakfast. So we're cutting up the bread, getting it ready to serve uh, to all the people staying at the centre later. So at the moment, there's about six volunteers, six or seven. Um, some are preparing the tray, some are preparing the breakfast room, um, some are cutting up the bread. Just uh, There's going to be people 
helping with the storage rooms for baggage. There's people helping with the sheets. Um, there's people coming in every day, just trying to help out wherever they can. As you might imagine, in the second most multicultural city in the world, the volunteers here at Porte du Lys have some diversity as well. We asked Ibrahim, who was cutting up bread, where he came from. I'm from Gambia. Yeah, today is my first time here. So I'm looking forward to see many things here. Ibrahim was not the only volunteer here for the first time. Hello, my name is Gilles. Um, this is my first time here. Gilles, a social work student who lives outside Brussels, chose this project because he wanted to do something that would really help someone. I want to really concrete work and really see what this is all about. I will maybe continue uh, this way, but uh, that's my yeah, that's my duty to do this. And some of the volunteers come from a really long way outside Brussels. Annelise is a Belgian Serve the City team member who helps coordinate international volunteers. Most of my time I spend with IVHQ, which is an international volunteer program where people from all over the world can come to Brussels for one week up to six weeks. And we try to take them to different projects uh, on a daily basis so they can see everything the Serve the City does and all the partners we work with and they can help out in local Brussels organizations. We met one of these volunteers, named Katie, setting up trays of bread and cheese. I'm from New York. Um, I spend a lot of time volunteering and stuff in the U.S., and I kind of figured I want an opportunity to travel and do the stuff that I like to do. So um, IVHQ ended up being a really good opportunity, and they set us up with Serve the City, so that's how I ended up here. With the breakfast set up, sleepy-looking men, mostly pretty young, begin to trickle in from the dormitories upstairs. The volunteers offer them breakfast. Hello, bonjour. Ça va? The volunteers are bright and chirpy in their interactions, offering smiles along with the sandwiches. Um, I tend to be a bit goofy when I'm here because I feel like if I'm overly enthusiastic, people are... It takes a lot to to push people out, so I need to be overly enthusiastic so people can meet me in the middle at a normal level. So I tend to just overly smile and overly talk to people. When you think about the difficult experiences these young men have been through to get here, the friendly positivity Annalise tries to communicate to them is as important as the breakfast sandwiches. Some people face a lot of difficulties along the way. Um, some people I've heard uh, have witnessed friends, family dying in front of them. Uh, people have been shot at at the border. Some people can't even stop to grieve for people who get shot dead and are dead, uh, killed instantly. So you you just have to keep running. And these are the stories that I've heard from um, many people, actually. Really traumatic experiences. This is Sarah Chaparian. She is the projects manager of Serve the City Brussels, coordinating volunteer partnerships with associations like Porte du Lys. Sarah and Doreen both explained to us why some of these migrants, many of them only teenagers, are willing to go through so much to get to Europe. They are seeking new lives and new opportunities that they just don't have, you know, basic opportunities, education, housing. Uh, their country is often war-torn. This is really the case with um, South Sudan. Um, we have also a lot of Eritreans. With people from Afghanistan, it, it, the teenage years is often the age where they get recruited by the Taliban or Daesh. Daesh is how Belgians refer to ISIS. So these people just see this as an opportunity to rebuild their lives um, again. And this is really a chance for them to do it. At the Porte du Lys, we talked to a migrant named Ahmed from northeast Africa. He did not tell us which country, and he told us just a little about his voyage to Brussels. Yes, I came first uh, Libyan. Libya. Uh, Spain. 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 After that, uh, France. France. And this journey take uh, about 20 days. In the sea, we, t- we took eight uh, days. After that, about 12 days from Spain to France. Uh, at the end, I arrived to Belgium in March. We spoke with Ahmed in November. So at that time, he had been in Belgium for around seven months. He also expressed to us why he made this journey. I am very interested in safety. That is what I am seeking for, safety. 
because in my country uh, it is dangerous my life everybody here seeking to save himself and as sarah tells us for many of these migrants the place they dream of finding safety and security is in the united kingdom but getting there involves even more danger the majority of them are on a mission to get to the uk illegally and then try to apply for asylum once they're there the migrants view their chances in uk as being much more uh, successful in terms of getting asylum um, and also in terms of getting work in the beginning most of them are going there because they know someone so they're going to someone's house to sleep initially maybe get some work um, cash in hand and then apply for their asylum in the UK there is a dream for everyone to go to England they want to get there but it's hard to get there so they're trying to get in bus trucks from Brussels or from other part of Belgium. Some of them actually get trains um, to certain places where there are trucks parked up overnight and then they can get in the back. I know some people go on boats as well, I've heard, although I've heard recently that the policing is a lot tighter around there. However, while the migrants are still in Belgium, unless they apply for asylum and are housed in a centre, they have no rights and can expect no services to be provided for them. So anyone with no papers or no right to uh, remain in Belgium, if they haven't applied for asylum here, they only have the right to urgent emergency uh, healthcare. So no clothes, no legal services, no um, social services, no housing, no food. But a lot of people also don't ask for asylum in Belgium because they might have already have fingerprints in another European country or they might have applied for asylum in another European country that has given them a negative answer. Because of those things, they, they are sometimes scared to ask for asylum in Belgium because they are scared to be sent back to another European country. That might even send them back to their home country where they are not safe. But I think... From my experience working in the Parc Maximilien and at Port the most traumatic part sometimes comes when they arrive in Belgium because it's here that you really start the waiting game, you know. Um, they call it chance, so whether you get to the other side or not, there are many, many, many uh, failed attempts. And so you get caught, you get beaten up by the police maybe, you get put in a cell maybe, um, you know, it's freezing cold, you're outside sleeping in the park rough, you have the right to nothing. It's very hard and some people are in the park for a long time waiting to get to the other side and they call it chance. One young man we met at the Porte du Lys, probably from the Middle East or Central Asia, expressed his hopelessness at being in such a situation. Why why uh, the people of uh, Europe play of me like football? Right now I come in here from France. I have negative in France, you know. I have three years in France. I have negative. By having a negative, he means that his asylum request in France was turned down after three years of waiting. I tried, tried to go to UK. No, no, stay here. I don't want to stay here. If I want to stay here, but Belgium, there is no, nothing for, for us to stay here. There is no paper, there is nothing. For some, the trauma of this waiting game outweighs even the trauma of the difficult journey from their home countries. Some of them simply can't handle sleeping outside. I mean, I remember recently meeting a man from Bangladesh who was really at the end of his tether because he just couldn't stand this, you know, the homeless life anymore. Um, he had come all this way on his adrenaline through a really tough journey and then just sleeping in the park Maximilian day in, day out, trying, getting caught, being beaten, sent back, having dogs set upon him, sent back again. Um, and of course you do hear, I knew one man actually who died last year because some pallets fell on his head. So you do hear also, you know, tragic stories at the end. So they have to keep going, but it's really, really tough. And I think that's a wonderful thing that the nonprofit organizations of Brussels do, is that they have teamed up to provide services for these people, and that's where we step in. And that's where we step in. 
As we say in our manifesto, serve the city is the connection between the good intentions and talents of people who could volunteer and a meaningful opportunity to get involved. Every day of the week, Serve the City volunteers are sent to help out in the various nonprofits that have arisen to provide humanitarian services to these people who have no right to any kind of services, just because it's the kind thing to do. And the Porte du Lys, from the very beginning, has needed a lot of volunteers because they were doing all of the work. So the, the plan was to have this center only managed by volunteers, which is, I think, something unique in Europe. In its first incarnation, the Porte du Lys shelter was approved only temporarily for the winter months. Between December 2017 and April 2018, we had between five to eight volunteers every morning to run the breakfast. When you count how many volunteering hours it is, it's a lot. So we said yes to partner with them because it was volunteer-based. In the summer of 2018, the center was reopened in a different, enormous, empty office building, this time year-round and with the capacity to house up to 350 people. And the Citizens Platform has improved its service as it has gained experience. On site, there is also um, social services that they can access and be referred to legal services. Um, they arrive in the evening, they um, check in, there is a whole app where they can register and then they become part of the um, app so they can monitor whether they're coming in, leaving, coming back in. Um, and then they get uh, a bed for the night and dinner. In the morning they get breakfast. So in Portulis now services role is to provide as much volunteers as we can. You know, our role there is really quite a special one because we were involved right from the beginning. So we have that motivation to keep this going because ultimately the Portugies is run by the platform but they don't have enough resources so there are a lot of volunteers that help to run and their work there is really important without which it, it wouldn't be able to function. We're talking breakfast and dinner and beds and clean sheets and laundry and washing up and you know everything that it takes to basically run a household with 350 people going in and out. Not to mention the cleaning. If you visit the Porte du Lys, you will easily see how important volunteers are to this operation. Young men come up one by one to a table set up at the foot of the stairs to be served by Danielle, a Citizens Platform volunteer working there. We asked Danielle about herself. I am a mother of four, now retired. And so I said to myself, I would still like to have a bit of activity in the area of solidarity and humanitarian work. And I found myself here. We also asked her about what it was she was doing. Now the young people are coming here to what we call the hygiene table. They can get some soap and some toothpaste and can put some oil on their hair and some lotion on their skin. For them, this is very important. Many of them have black skin that is sensitive to our cold Belgian weather. So they need particular products for their skin. And they also have to return their bed sheets here. When they have done that, they each get a little stamp that gives them access to the breakfast. But we also found out that manning the hygiene table was not the only way that Danielle tries to help out irregular migrants. For about two years, she has also been hosting in her home some guys who could not get a place at the Porte du Lys due to limited space and helping, quote, the young people, as she calls them, with their laundry. We asked her, had that experience gone well? Yes, it's gone well when the stay isn't too long. The longer the stay is, the more complicated it gets. But in general, it has gone well. At the moment, I have someone staying with me 
who has already been there a few weeks, and it's going well. But one never knows what is going to happen next with them. It's always a bit of a surprise. <laughs> Even though Danielle was doing things that were very practical at Porte du Lys, handing out soap and toothpaste and lotion, she expressed the goal of volunteering in relational terms. And so the goal of all this is to welcome them, to say hello to them and recognize them. That's it. To give them a little bit of advice, to reassure them sometimes, to help them however we can. This attitude to serving others, showing kindness in personal ways to people in need, fits very well with our Serve the City ethos. But it still takes a lot of logistics to welcome so many people every day. You need some volunteers with an extra commitment level and extra love to make it work. There are some volunteers who really do uh, stand out. Their commitment is just unbelievable. An obvious one is Samara. Uh, je m'appelle Samara Mendes. Je viens du Brésil. Et ça fait plus ou moins 13 ans que j'habite ici en, en Belgique. This is Samara Mendes, a volunteer whose own personal story has given her reason to have empathy with the migrants she serves at the Porte du Lys. I came here from Brazil with the father of my children, but after several years we separated. When I was separated from the father of my children, I was in a very, very difficult situation because I didn't have any papers. I didn't have any way to work. I didn't have any friends. And I also didn't speak the language then. So it was really a catastrophe. Suddenly, Samara found herself living on the streets of Brussels with her three young children. But while she was there, she remembered one person who had been friendly to her and might help her. Nathan, who I call my guardian angel. Nathan, at that time, was a teacher in the school where my children went. So he had taught all three of my kids. So I phoned Nathan and I said, Nathan, I'm in the street. I don't know what to do. Nathan, today the director of Serve the City Brussels, at that time split his time between teaching and working as the Serve the City projects manager. Nathan came right away and picked up Samara and her children and brought them to his house. They stayed with Nathan's family for a month, after which he arranged for them to stay with another couple from his church. Later, Samara tried once more to strike out on her own, but it did not go so well. Afterwards, I found a little place. Well, but it, it was a kind of squat. A squat, in case you are unfamiliar with this term, is an abandoned building that people use as a place to live. I squatted in this little apartment and it didn't have any heat. It didn't have anything. Everything was open. The police came by every weekend because of my two neighbors. One was an African who sold drugs and the other was a guy who had been to prison for raping women. These were my neighbors. And then suddenly they realized I was living there all alone with the three children and knocked at my door. And I was forced to call the police. Samara also tried to find some sort of employment to support herself. But without proper papers, she could only be hired under the table. And she was paid accordingly. I also worked in an art gallery, but the owner paid me four euros an hour. Sometimes he only paid me two euros an hour. I worked day and night. Once more, Nathan stepped in to help Samara out. He found her odd jobs, cleaning for his parents, his brother, his grandmother and his friends, while they tried to figure out how to get her Belgian papers. Then, after she had spent almost three years in this precarious position, Nathan offered her a new opportunity. It would be a lifesaver for him as the Serve the City projects manager, and also for the volunteers working at the Porte du Lys breakfast. It was um, really chaotic to coordinate all the volunteers because we had volunteers showing one day, but the other day was other volunteers. So how to make sure that every day you do the same things? Uh, how do you coordinate? How do you pass on the information? It was actually impossible. So in January, I asked one of my friends, Samara, if she was interested to coordinate the breakfast. She wasn't working at that moment and actually she didn't have a work permit in Belgium uh, for the moment. 
And she said, yes, okay, I'm willing to help. This was no casual, when I feel like it, volunteering commitment that Samara took on. So she stayed there every morning, Monday to Friday, welcoming a volunteer around 7 in the morning and stay there until 12, sometimes 1 o'clock to clean up, to manage the people. And she committed to stay every week until... April, which is when the project was supposed to end. She admits to being a little nervous the first time she visited the center to see if she wanted to take on the task Nathan had proposed to her. I admit, I was a bit scared. This was a world I didn't know at all. And also, all the media told you stuff that the refugees were like this or like that, that they were all sick. Well, when you don't know any refugees, when you hear people talk about refugees, you always hear bad stuff. You never hear the truth, that the guys are nice, that the guys are really cool, that they just want to talk, that they only want to have someone smile at them. Samara has been touched by many of the stories that she heard from the migrants she has served breakfast to. One of them is a guy named Darad. Darad comes from Sudan. He is 27 years old, or at, at least he thinks he's 27. It has been a long journey and he's a little lost in time. He has already asked for asylum and he wants to stay there. He speaks English, he speaks French, he's studying Dutch as well. He's a really super guy, truly. He's the best. Darad told Samara how his brother had made some enemies back in his home country. And because he looked a lot like his brother, Darad was captured and beaten by these enemies and almost died. So he decided to leave with his twin sister, but when he arrived at Porte du Lys, he had no news from either his brother or his mother for a long time. What strikes me most is how these people arrive here and their lives start over at the moment they arrive. Everything from their life before no longer exists. They all have a little backpack and that's all. And sometimes a telephone with some photos. Their family becomes the friends that they meet on the journey. It turned out that taking on this volunteer coordinator position was not just a lifesaver for Nathan and the center. It was also a lifesaver for Samara. I was in a very deep depression. I didn't have a job. I still couldn't work. It was then that Serve the City entered my life. I have said to Nathan, this is what saved me. It's this, the volunteer work. To do volunteer work for me is the most beautiful thing. I believe one gains more from it than from regular work. In the meantime, Samara had met and married a Belgian man. Around the time the first center closed in 2018, she was finally eligible to receive her papers to live and work in Belgium legally. However, when she first showed up at the local town hall with her children to collect their new identity cards, she got a rather nasty surprise. I got there and they said, I'm sorry, madam, but you have to leave the country within 30 days. Afterwards, we found out that the town hall had made an error. But then they said, well, we've done all we can for you. You are going to have to start over with your application and wait for another year. But Samara knew who might be able to help her situation. So one more time, I went to see my guardian angel, Nathan. I said, Nathan, this is what has happened. I don't know what to do. And Nathan spoke with his mother-in-law, Pascal. Pascal wrote a letter to one of the city councilmen and sent it off. One week later, the councilman called me and said, come and get your papers. Meanwhile, in that first season, the Citizens Platform had been petitioning the government to open a centre year-round and brought to bear a strong argument. The Porte du Lys was in a building next to a Red Cross homeless shelter. Both catered to the same number of people, but the Porte du Lys did it at a fraction of the cost. Platform Citoyen 
showed to the government that it was possible to manage a center with much less money than a normal center like Red Cross. After April 2018, when the center uh, closed, they suggested to the city to reopen that center all year long with a small amount of staff to coordinate all the volunteers. So now it's based on volunteers, but it's coordinated by a staff member and it costs less less money than another kind of center. The city of Brussels approved the proposal to open a year-round center with 20 staff managing all of the volunteers. And one of the first employees hired was Samara. She never loses hope and she is so driven by what she does. She is driven by the relationships that she builds with these people in the, at the Port de Lise just through serving them breakfast. She loves her job. Moi, j'adore mon travail. I adore my work. I really am passionate about my work and I love it. I adore these people. Samara believes that all the difficulties she has been through give her the ability to understand and empathize with the migrants she serves. I believe I've been given the gift of understanding these people because I have also been in a difficult situation. For me, it's much easier than others. If you're born Belgian, you have your house and your room. You will never know what it's really like to live on the street. Once you have lived it, when it has happened to you, you can feel it in your bones. You really get it. Yes, I understand. You try to understand, but you've never been there. It's different. Samara's might be the most dramatic story of a volunteer transformed by their work at Porte du Lys, but it is far from the only one. Sarah tells us how just cleaning the centre can be impactful for volunteers. Volunteering at the Porte du Lys can actually be a really touching experience for people, not only through the uh, contact that they get with the residents, but also in the days where there is no one in the centre. So during the day, the centre gets emptied so that it can be cleaned. And so once a month, we help out with a uh, big spring clean. We bring some volunteers, typically about 50 of us go. We clean five floors of dormitory, <laughs> taking off bedding, um, cleaning up old sheets, scrubbing the walls. And you really do get a lot of uh, touched volunteers, even though they didn't see the migrants. And that's because when they're doing the cleanups, you find a lot of uh, personal effects that have been hidden. Um, and you can really start to understand the stories of these people and where they're coming from. Sometimes you find documents, sometimes you find books, you find papers that were important to them, and they hide them behind the radiators uh, in the hope of coming back and getting it back. Many volunteers feel rather intimidated the first time they interact with migrants, like Samara did, and need a little guidance. Annalise and Sarah explain their roles as project leaders in helping people on this journey. I wasn't scared here, um, but in 2015, I ended up at Park Maximilian, where there was a thousand people in tents in a park. And I was only 18 at the time, and it was very overwhelming. Um, so the first day, I, I went there on my own, and I was really scared because I just didn't know what to expect. But I knew one person, and that one person showed me around and introduced me to everyone, causing me to not be scared anymore because then instead of just strangers there were people that I now knew and there were people who were there to help me while I was helping others. The Port de Lise only takes in men. Um, because the park and Port de Lise are only men at first volunteers find it quite intimidating um, but we do brief them and let them know that yeah once again they're only human and they're not going to bite. And so now that's kind of what I'm doing with our volunteers where I want to be like their one person they know. I always tell them if you ever feel overwhelmed just let me know and we'll figure it out because there's no point in being overwhelmed. Um, we'll just calm down I'll explain what's happening and why and then we'll go from there like kind of doing what those people did to me when I was 18. As volunteers get over their discomfort, though, very often they find themselves drawn in by the experience. They find, for example, that though not everyone says thank you, that there are many migrants who are grateful for the help the volunteers are offering them. We met a migrant from Mali who wanted to tell us this in Spanish. We are here in Brussels. I'm very happy here. Sleep well, eat well, 
people also are good people. Really, 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 I'm here two weeks, very good. I'm very happy here, very happy with people Brussels. All people very cool, very fun, so I'm very happy being here. Ahmed, the African migrant we met earlier, also expressed his gratitude. Very kindly. Belgian people are very kindly with us. Also, English people came to park and give us food, give us clothes, give us uh, any help. Everybody here that help people and serve refugees with a smile, and that is make us make uh, us happy, make us so uh, relaxed and safety. And I want to thanks people here. I want to thank grateful people here. Great uh, people here. I want to thank everybody here. Why do I like doing this? Um, I feel very useful here and I can also see, like, I get to meet a lot of people and kind of get there's time to do things but there's also time to like slow down and talk to people, learn why, why they're here, how they ended up at the center and what they're trying to do and it makes it so much more human because you can really see like some of these, these people are my age or even younger and it makes it so real. That's where the most meaningful uh, role of Serve the City is perhaps fulfilled, which is creating relationships with others. Um, without even realizing it, some of the volunteers get so hooked on going to Port Delis because they're going back to see people. And, and that's really why people keep volunteering. They come back because they have met X or Y and X and Y have told such touching stories and such stories of courage and hope that they really are so motivated to go back and help them again and be there just for a chat. That's what most people want. Sometimes these stories can be really shocking, like one that Samara related to us. There are many, many touching stories, some really intense. There was a guy I was talking to who was very young, maybe 20 or 20 years old, and we were laughing together. He was always smiling. He said to me, Sam, what is something that has really impacted you? What do you have in your life that you think about a lot? I said, why don't you go first? So he said, what impacted me was from when I was crossing the Mediterranean Sea. There were so many people in the boat. There was a pregnant woman and this woman she gave birth in the boat and he said one hour hour after she gave birth the boat turned over and she lost the baby she couldn't find the baby so then all of a sudden she just let herself go in the sea she let herself go because she didn't want to stay anymore she let herself go and he said this is the thing that has impacted me the most and I said, what can I say to him after that? I didn't know what to say. But perhaps even more impactful than the stories of suffering that volunteers hear are the stories of courage and hope. So I think the most touching stories to me are the ones of positivity. People who are like, yeah, I've been through so much, but I'm here now and Belgians are really nice and it's nice to meet people like you. And so that, I think, shocks me the most. The, the horrific stories and the stories where people tell you what they've been through are so intense and they teach me a lot. But it's the resilience after that shocks me every time that I'm like... Even even through everything, you're still so happy and kind and willing to talk to me in every language that we can figure out. I met one guy at the Port du Lys and we started talking and his English was outstanding. Um, he was an Eritrean, a young Eritrean, um, I would say... 30 maybe and he said that he'd been working as a trainee midwife for seven years um, and he was extremely motivated to go to the UK because he had read that the National Health Service in the UK needs uh, midwives and particularly they need outside help so they employ a lot of people actually uh, from the Philippines and other countries um, in the UK to help complete the, the labour needs um, but he had read that. So this man was just, I mean, I was like, wow, that's amazing. He is on a mission and his English was just 
amazing, you know, impeccable English from Eritrea. I felt so humbled by his story. Ahmed told us about his dream for the future as well. I am a teacher. Oh, I hope to, uh, to learn more, graduate. I want to graduate, master, and after that, I want to work in this, my field, in computer technology. After that, uh, if I get a job beside opium, that, that is good. But first, paper. Samara can relate well to the kinds of hopes that Ahmed has expressed. When I didn't have any papers, all that I wanted was to work. But you are really stuck, really stuck. You don't know what to do. So we shouldn't complain that they don't do anything. When you speak of refugees, people think they don't know how to read, they can't write, they have never studied. Samara feels that many migrants have far more to offer than people give them credit for. We knew a migrant who was a pilot with his own business in Sudan. He had all the documentation about it. I read it all. One day he came to me and said, I'm going to try to take my chance. And everything I have is in this bag. Can I leave it with you? And if I get to England, could you send it to me? I said, okay. And then he got caught and put in prison. And I went to see the social worker with all his documents. And the social worker told me she had never seen a person with so many degrees. The migrant we met from Mali also wanted to change people's perceptions. I come from Mali. My town has problems because there's a lot of war over there, so we have come here to seek a better future. Hopefully everything will change. Hopefully people here will understand that we have just come to find a better life. We didn't come here to steal or to sell drugs or anything. We just came to work. Also, everyone is equal. All people are equal. Everyone is equal. This is the same answer we get from volunteers who serve these migrants when we ask them, why should we help these people? Why should we do anything for them when they have no right to anything, no right to be here, no intention even to stay in Belgium? Who are these people and why are we helping them? Um, I think... A very simple explanation is because they're human beings, just like you and I. <laughs> human beings all have dreams, and human beings all go ver through very difficult times. So why should we give to them? Because this could be you. It's often a question of being humane, I think. It's, it's just, these are people like you and me. They didn't ask for this. They didn't want to leave their countries. And when they arrive here and go through the process, they become like a case. And it's very easy to um, to just refer to numbers instead of like, these are people, this could have happened to you and me. And what I always like find important in my approach to things like, it's not my merit that, I've, that I'm born here. I was lucky in a sense that I was born here. I could have been born somewhere else, and then I would have hoped that people would help me as well. The difference between me and the people who are staying in the center is just the luck that we had when we were born and where we were raised. Um, they've just been dealt a hand that's really complicated, so now it seems like the most logical thing to help them. Um, also for my own humanity, I would start judging myself if I saw so many people in need and did nothing. That would say way more about me than it does about them. One thing that's maybe changed me because of doing this volunteering work is like, you start to look different than your own situation. Everything's suddenly more like, you don't make a lot of drama anymore of your own personal problems because sometimes I get like you we get caught up in our own personal dramas even though like it's nothing there's so many reasons to do it when I talk to people and I ask them why they don't the answer is always time it's that's the only thing time or sometimes racism, but I feel like a lot of that racism ha comes from not having put in the time to see the differences. And so just letting the media guide you towards being scared. And so 
being scared is such a is such an unnecessary feeling because you can just come here and see all the smiles. There's music playing. There's volunteers everywhere. This is the most fun I could have at seven in the morning. <laughs> it's great. And Samara, whose whole life was changed by volunteering, articulates what might be the most beautiful reason of all to have this kind of fun at seven in the morning. What I want to say, what I want to stress is volunteer work. Because for me, I was really in an enormous depression. And it is what saved me, really. It was the fact of doing something meaningful with my life. This work, I find it, is really a benediction, a blessing. That's the word, it's a blessing. A person who has the opportunity to do volunteer work to help his neighbor is a blessed person. She's blessed by God. She is happy. I'm here with Carlton Deal, founder and CEO of Serve the City International. Hi, Carlton. Hi, Ani. So we've just heard part two of the Brussels story of uh, Serve the City acting there. What stood out to you in this story? Yeah, thank you. Wow, what an amazing story and um, so touching to hear about people from all over the world and uh, their their real and immediate needs um, being cared for, provided by volunteers in the center. Um, yeah, that, ha- that has been quite a story over these last years in Brussels, the, um, that center. I think what stood out to me um, is the word impact. Um, every nonprofit has to sort through measurements, like what are, what are you trying to do? And um, often those measurements get categorized as um, output, um, outcome, and impact. And output might be the, the effort of a volunteer to serve a breakfast, something like this. And the outcome, what happens because you do that, and then the impact is the, is the bigger story that's told. And I just heard a lot of impact um, on the lives of volunteers through serving. And that's what we believe happens in Serve the City, that you know we step out of our comfort zone to show some kind of kindness to people in need. But the surprise is the impact that it makes on our own lives. And you heard this through Sara, through Annalise, um, and in particular through Samara. It is really beautiful to hear what an impact that even just volunteering and serving a breakfast can have on individuals. Hmm. And I was wondering... Looking at this story, what is a value of Serve the Cities that you see being embodied here? Yeah, of of our values, the one that stood out to me, I think, is the value of humility. Um, and I could hear this in some of our leaders and volunteers, you know, when they were saying, well, why do this? Like, why get up early in the morning? You know, as Annalise said, it's the most fun I can have at seven o'clock in the morning. But, you know, why? And the answer that most of them came to is that this could be me. You know, this could be my situation. These these um, these ref- refugees, they didn't ask for what took place in their home country. They're fleeing something. I heard Doreen say that, too. And it's kind of this, yeah, it could, it could be me. This could be my my life or my my family or my brother or my sister. And, uh, and I, th- I think I hear a lot of humility on the part of the volunteers in that. And the recognition that everyone is equal. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yep. Yep. Thank you, Carlton. Mm. Thank you for joining us today on Serving Stories. I have been your host, Ani Deal. Serving Stories was written and produced by Shannon Deal. Music and technical production by Parker Deal. Designed by Jeremy Malengro. Special thanks to Serve the City Brussels staff, especially Nathan Torini and Sarah Chaparian, and to the Plateforme Citoyen for allowing us to record on their premises. We are happy to be partnering with you. Join us next time on Serving Stories in Pristina, Kosovo, to see how Serve the City is getting started in the poorest country in Europe. If you want to find out more about Serve the City and how to get involved in a project near you, go to servethecity.net. Keep on serving and sharing your stories. <laughs>